So today we finish with Jonah in Jonah chapter 4. I'm going to go back a verse to 310, the whole chapter. When God saw how Nineveh repented, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Chapter 4. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became cross. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and ready to repent, to relent from punishing. And now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Then Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, waiting to see just what would happen to the city. The Lord God appointed a bush and made it cover up over Jonah to give shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about the bush. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bush so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind, and the sun beat down upon the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked that he might die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about a bush? Then the Lord said, you are concerned about the bush for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't even know their right hand from their left, and also many animals. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts may be an honor and a glory to you. Amen. Now Jonah was a prophet, but in this story, he does not comport himself within the traditions of the prophets. Abraham, the father of the faith, one day stood out looking upon the city of Sodom and the city of Gomorrah. Terrible, bad places. But the archaeological record I was reading an article about the other day is still trying to figure out what happened to them because it ended fiery. And there's a layer of silt. Sodom. Gomorrah, terrible places. But who should we find in the Old Testament pleading for their sake but Father Abraham? There's a touching story of Abraham entering into the presence of God. And in the Old Testament, you could tell how serious it is based off of which name of God they use. When it's Elohim, it's God the Creator. When it's El Shaddai, it's all the Almighty. But when it's Yahweh, it's the God who sits in judgment. It's the God who is absolutely separate from humanity. 
And it is in the presence of Yahweh, God the Almighty Judge, exactly in the smite zone, you might call it, that Abraham pleads not for a good city, not for people that we particularly miss, but for the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, begging God to spare it for the sake of 50 or 40. Abraham gets to 10 before he can bear to push no further. This is also a different example than Jesus Christ, who's standing over the hill looking at Jerusalem, says, Jerusalem, I would have gathered you under my wings, but you kill the prophets that I send to you. But Jonah, Jonah is an example of a very hard heart that I find is all too common, particularly in immature Christians. Now, there's a fascinating story here. Uh, if we know, what is Jonah's complaint? Jonah doesn't complain to God that he is harsh. Why do bad things happen to good people? No, Jonah's complaint here is, I know you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent from punishing. Jonah's complaint to God is, you're too nice. And so he throws a hissy fit. In the ancient world, this I might as well die, and in the Old Testament, we find it a lot of times, tends to be the ultimate expression of exacerbation. It's just, Lord, if, if that's the way you're going to do it, I'm out. Just go ahead, and it, it's obviously the way you want it, and I don't. So Jer Jonah, instead of fulfilling, he can fulfill that prophet role of condemnation all he wants. And, and we see that he, after the transformation of being swallowed by the fish, he has amazing power preaching sin. But Jonah is an incomplete preacher who refuses to preach any sort of repentance. And he goes and sits out on the hill in a vain hope that for some reason, God still might just whack down the bad guys. And well, the Lord who had mercy on Nineveh, he has mercy on Jonah. And he sends up a bush to shade the prophet. And according to some reading that I could not verify, but it's a good enough story to tell, there's a bit of a Middle Eastern wisdom in this idea of the plant growing up over the night. And it's something that I think is worth sharing, even though you're going to first say, well, how is this related? There's a story of the gourd and the palm tree. Palm tree is about 30 feet tall, but he grows very slow. Year in, year out, he only adds so many inches. It's a palm tree. Well, gourd sprouts up. First, a small little plant. Within a month, its tendrils are wrapped over everything. And within two months, the gourd pops up and flowers on top of the palm tree. And the palm tree says to the gourd, I mean, the gourd says to the palm tree, Oh, you silly palm tree. What's wrong with you? Look at me. I've only been here two months and I have all this glory. And you, old palm tree, you have 30 years and have already eclipsed you. And the palm responds to the gourd. Oh, but gourd, you'll be gone very soon. And the gourd gets offended and says, how do you know that? And the palm tree says, well, for the last 30 years, a gourd has sprouted up every year and told me the same thing you are. There is fast, unhealthy growth. And that's what I'm getting at today. It is just as possible to grow inward as outward. Beginning Christians can understand God's judgment, his righteous wrath, especially on bad people. 
But as we saw in today's reading from the Gospel of Luke, Jesus' firmest opposition from those who would be his disciples are upon the nature of God's radical mercy. Because the lesson here, and the reason why Jonah shows to just be quick growth, he doesn't have the root down in him all the way, he's still got a long way to go, is because Jonah is unhappy with those people that Jesus, that God, happens to be saving. It is the same complaint as the Pharisees when they come to Jesus and say, how dare you eat with those sinners? But Christ reminds the Pharisees, it's not the healthy who go to the doctor. It's the sick. Jonah was a prophet of Israel. The destruction of his nation for lack of repentance had already been foretold, and he knew who the instrument was. It was to be Nineveh. Jonah hated these people in an old-fashioned way that you maybe probably only ever experienced with your grandparents. They were not who he wanted to ever be in his synagogue. Yet that is to whom he is sent. And we may look at Jonah and see him as some sort of anachronism. We may look at the Pharisees and say, oh, they just have closed hearts. But immature Christians, immature churches that are growing up like the gourd, that will have no root, that will not stand for 30 years, often carry the same opinion as Jonah. Now, I learned a story from someone else. I shall not name names. I shall not name places. But he was a pastor who was called to a church much worse off than this one, dying down to perhaps 20 people. And he looked around his town and he saw that while his congregation was 100% Anglo, his town was 50-50, half Anglo and half Hispanic. So he told his deacons, he said, look, we need to do outreach into the community into which we are planted. And if you want to know the difference between a pouting prophet who's no good, a gourd that doesn't have roots, and a palm tree, this pastor's disciples made it. Deacons made it clear. They told him, oh, reach Hispanics. I don't know. We'll have to pray upon it for two weeks. That is the mark of a Jonah, of this immaturity we are talking about. The idea of reaching your neighbor, of loving those people to whom God has put you in place of, and you have to go pray on it for two weeks. This is the same kind of thing Jonah is pulling here. Oh, Lord, you are a God of deliverance. I'm going to have to go pray on that for two weeks before I accept the fact that you delivered Nineveh. May the Lord forbid it that we ever be so rootless. But this gets easy if we use the big political schemes. I'm a modern, so I like everybody. And we, we tend to have a problem that is just as much of immature Christians that a lot of us tend to like to imagine we're nicer than Jesus. People have trouble with judgment and they position themselves without thinking what they're saying as the Almighty sitting in judgment upon someone's soul. And of course, Lord, I would be nice to him, nicer than you. That's why I'm not particularly fond of welcome signs on churches too much. The church should have a reputation for good works on its own. But also, it tends to mean, welcome to people just like me. We tend to position ourselves as the Almighty, judging folks as lovable, as forgivable, when they look like us, when they think like us, 
with just a little bit of difference. It's self-love. But Jonah is here pouting and he is fighting against. And Jesus, in today's lesson, was almost thrown off a cliff. Because many times God's people are not called to witness, to intercede for people that they like. Jonah was called to pray for his enemies. Funny that one. Pray for those who persecute you. Elijah was not sent to a widow in Israel while the whole nation starved. He was sent to some far off land to care for some lady who probably hadn't lived right because at one point during the whole story she says, man of God, are you here just to judge me for all the wrong that I've done? It's not any of the lepers in Israel that get cleansed. It's Naaman, a Syrian general, a symbol of enemy power. And Jonah, the prophet, who preaches repentance, who would love to go through the streets of Jerusalem and have had that power. We saw him had last week. Oh, Jonah would have loved it if he got spat out from that fish and God had told him, go to Jerusalem and tell them, repent or I'm destroying it in 40 days and I will go with you and I will give that witness. Jeremiah would have been, I'm sorry, Jonah would have been stoked. But he gets sent to the one place he'd rather God eliminate. I can't come up with a practical application here because each of us has to search within our own hearts to get past all of that, well, I love everybody. Well, I can see myself in everyone. To get down into where it is lingering, that part that gets us mad at Jesus here. That is a natural reaction. Now notice, Jonah is not condemned for being immature. The Lord has mercy upon him, interceding with him. We don't get the close of the story. We don't hear about the rest of Jonah's the rest of Jonah's rooting, but we do learn in this story that God will not let Jonah stay where he's at. He gets the initial mercy, the bush. Have some time to reflect, kid. But as Jonah sits there and stews and will not let go of old hatreds, will not embrace the fullness of grace, the worm that eats the bush is just as much the worm within his own heart. This is a difficult lesson because as a pastor, as a human being, as someone who has people that I love, Paul himself wrote in his epistles, he would lose his own salvation to save his people, to see Hebrews accept Jesus. But Paul was not sent to be the apostle to the Jews. He was sent to be the apostle to the Gentiles. We sit in the dominant culture position, but there was one time in the church, you and I were looked down upon as the uncircumcised rabble. We ourselves, in many points of history, have been guilty of having that same pharisaical attitude. But the mercy and the grace of God has been that over these last years, he has been working through it. We have seen unity that many a hundred years ago would have called impossible. We live in a land of monuments just across the street to folks that have put their money where their mouth is. There's the brotherhood and the freedom, the dignity and the divine 
blessing and image upon every man. It falls to us in these days to push forward upon those issues. It was not easy for our forefathers to let go of their prejudices. I doubt it shall be easy for us. But the, the weight here is that in some ways, if we do not, we are picking like Jonah to just sit there and die. Now again, to be heard rightly, we said the Apostles' Creed today. The church has a reason and a foundation for its, its existence that is in Scripture that we must dig in heels in always on all things. The church, its programs, its ways of thinking change, but God's word rests eternal because it is God's word, his gospel, and the salvation available through his son and through his son's blood alone that empowers her to make this difference. It was not a message of feel good, of be good people, by which Jonah saved Nineveh. It was all the Old Testament weight we try to throw out. But the problem was that Old Testament weight here upon the prophet Jonah was pressing him down just as much with who it says God is. A God who forgives, who is slow to anger, and is righteous to forgive all those who repent. Let us never trick a town that shrugs it off. No matter how holy Israel may be, that it can escape God's righteous judgment. But let us never think that a town that humbles itself, refuses to eat, and doesn't even feed the, feed the animals will be rejected. There is never a case in scripture where Jesus says, nah, eh, you're out. But he accepts all those who come to him. May we be so bold likewise. Let us pray.